equate it to either the Super Bowl Olympics. I mean, to get on the Miss America stage, I, I will always say I've prepared my entire life for it. You just don't walk into a job like Miss America without, you know, your background, your experiences. I mean, everything is a factor. It's essentially who you are. Welcome back. Our next guest is someone we've been incredibly excited about since we started this idea of an interview series. She was gracious enough to take a chance on us when we had nothing to show for ourselves, just an idea of something with potential. And she's someone whose initial claim to fame wasn't something I was wholly educated on. I had a certain stereotype in my head, to be honest, and needless to say, she blew my preconceived notions away. Nina Davaluri is the first Indian American to win the Miss America pageant back in 2014. A brown woman hailing from Oklahoma by way of Vijaywada, her platform while Miss America, was celebrating diversity through cultural competency. And she's gone on to work with the Obama administration, host a reality TV show, and continues to be a public speaker and advocate. As I found myself reflecting on this interview, it struck me that Nina's story is one of resilience, one of patience. I can only imagine what it was like being brown where she grew up, and then of entering a pageant circuit, where brown faces were a rarity, maybe even completely absent. She didn't win her first time out, and she did meet with resistance, but she persevered. And as you'll come to hear, she met the resistance with grace. So let's get to it. So right off the bat, I learned there was a difference between Miss America and Miss USA. I was thinking, oh shit, did you see Donald Trump? Turns out, Miss USA is the pageant that was owned by Donald Trump. That's not what Nina competed in. This was also back in the day where it was much more Miss America was sort of the ideal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people get confused between Miss America and Miss USA. Um, So Miss USA um, was the organization that was owned by Donald Trump, now um, owned by IMG. IMG, I believe, was sold to them uh, a few years back. Uh So... Um, Miss America has been the longest running competition pageant in history. We just reached our 96th year, I believe, Uh um, in history. So we were sort of the first um, ever. And um, there is a talent portion of competition. It doesn't cost anything to enter. And of course, it's a scholarship program. So Mm -hmm. we are one of the largest scholarship providers for young women across the country. And uh, through my time competing, I told you in the team program, but combined through my time in the team program and in the MISS program, I've earned a little over $95,000 in scholarship money. That's an amazing amount of money. That's really phenomenal. So for those of you that don't know, The competition is comprised of five phases, with each phase contributing a certain percent to the overall score. The contestants have to deal with an onstage question, talent section, evening wear section, and a lifestyle and fitness swimwear section. There's also another section that I didn't know about. I don't think a lot of people knew about it either. don't realize is there's actually a um, 10 minute private interview with a panel of seven judges and they can ask you any question is fair game from like political to world events to your platform every contestant also has a platform 
Um, so I didn't wake up as Miss Mary and be like, I'm just going to promote, promote diversity now and be the poster child for it. Um, it was something that I had worked for, for, you know, officially for eight years at that time. Um, and, you know, essentially my entire life, I always say, you know, diversity and cultural competencies. So that was a natural platform for me to have. So, yeah, so I will always say that I think Miss America is one from that interview because ultimately your job is to be able to be relatable from kindergartners, from working with Children's Miracle Network hospitals to very, you know, sick, terminally ill children to being relatable to the middle school, you know, assembly that you're giving a motivational speech to, mm -hmm. to also congressmen when you're lobbying for your platform. And then also, you know, the president of the United States and CEOs, businessmen, everything in between. So you have to be so well-rounded in this role that Miss America isn't based on a swimsuit. It's not based on a gown or how great your talent is. It really is how well you're able to connect with an audience, mm -hmm. no matter what their age is. And Sam, I started sweating when she said an interview with seven people. That sounds like the Hunger Games. I can't even get through an interview with one person, hence where I am in life. But we all have our strengths. In any case, spoiler alert, she killed that shit and won the whole thing. At which point, the real work begins. So that's really the job of it. I think I was probably on a handful of red carpets throughout my year, but what people don't see is the other 364 days that you're actually working um, you know, in schools and colleges and universities. And I was lucky to really be able to do an amazing college tour that I'm still able to do now. Um, and, you know, again, work with nonprofits, my platform, and that was the job. It's, it's a full-time job. It wasn't just, um, oh, hey, I'm just going to get ready and wake up and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, take a picture. It was, it was, it was so much more meaningful. And it is so much more meaningful than that. Okay. Now that I've hooked you, let's take a step backwards. So I was born in Syracuse, New York, uh, but my grandparents actually raised me in Vijaywada for about two and a half years. And then when I came back, my family moved to Oklahoma at the time. And uh, from Oklahoma, when I was 10 years old, we moved to Michigan. So when people ask me where you consider yeah. home, although I'm, I've kind of been all over, um, definitely consider Michigan home. You know, I Michigan. went to middle school, high school, college there. So a lot of good memories. Young Jet Setter. She's born in Syracuse, raised in Vijaywada by her grandparents on the banks of the Krishna River in Andhra Pradesh, India. Then she's moved back to Oklahoma with her family. Then when she's 10, she's moved to Michigan, where she remains for much of her life. That is a lot of movement for a young child. I was curious why that happened, why she immediately went to live with her grandparents. I realized it was for the same reason that my wife's parents also sent her to India when she was born. My dad was in his residency and my mom was working at the time. So okay. my, my mom actually helped with my dad through residency. Sure. Um, and uh, once he was finished, his first uh, job was in Oklahoma. And so that's when um, I came back. Her dad ended up being an OBGYN. Her mom is a computer programmer. Needless to say, they're both working. And they had to do what a lot of other immigrant families have done, which is they send their young children to live with their grandparents, wherever they may be. That happened to my wife as well. Her mom was pursuing a career in medicine. She had an older brother already, and so both the parents worked, and they weren't able to take care of two kids at the same time. So Rhea was raised in India for five years. I'm guessing your dad is an OBGYN, your mom is a computer programmer. There must be some pressure in terms of following in at least one of their footsteps. You know, I was on the pre-med track. I thought it was it was hard because I couldn't 
I couldn't necessarily find something that I just really loved that I woke up every day. You know, when people mm-hmm. say, I just wake up yeah. every day loving what I do and yeah. I, or knowing that this is what I want. Those and lucky I, people. Yeah, those lucky yeah. people. And I just never had that in college. Like I never had that epiphany of like, this is what I was meant to do. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't hate it and mm-hmm. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And then the obvious elephant in the room. I'm going to stereotype a little here, but living in Oklahoma and then living in Michigan being brown, there has to be some racism, right? I certainly did, Um, especially in Oklahoma. And even Michigan, I think we all, like, face the same questions. You know, are you going to have a rich marriage? What does the red dot mean? Do you worship cows? Your house smells like curry, Um, which is, like, still true. Yeah, like, my apartment still smells like it. Um, And so I think I was very aware that I was, Um, you know, certainly different. And also in Oklahoma, I was often mistaken for Native American. Um, So there were just a lot of stereotypes that I was correcting constantly, but it just, it was the only thing I knew. You know, when someone would say something to me, I wouldn't, I would always correct it. I don't, I don't think I ever got angry. It was just more of, well, no, I think maybe annoyed, certainly. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it was just a similar, well, no, that's actually not the case or, you know, kind of explaining it. (sighs) Yep, those ignorant folks. I feel like it's got to be a rule. The more ignorant, bigoted, or racist you are, the more creative you are. And you'd think, being judged on your appearance, having people say horrible things to you based on your outward appearance, that might make you stray away from the light, so to speak. So what got Nina interested in pageantry in the first place? Growing up watching Miss America um, on television, you know, every year. And um, just, I mean, I, I just... There was something about it that I was very much drawn to. I loved the talent portion, um, you know, and at the time when I was much, much younger, I thought, oh, you get to just walk in a pretty gown and it's this, you know, wonderful sort of glamorous life. And, you know, the older I got, the more I realized that it's really not about that <laughs> at all. Before we talk about Miss America, the main competition that everyone knows Nina won, let me take you through the history and then let's hear from Nina what started her interest in pageantry. The first time I really started competing, um, I earned, I started in the teen program, which is sort of a feeder into the Miss program. And I was a junior in high school. I was, you know, knee deep in college applications and on the righteous path to medical school and um, sort of, you know, approached my parents with all the information my type A personality. And um, I said, you know, I'm really interested in this. And they said, okay, well, you know, there's, and the current Miss America at the time, actually, that Miss America 2005, this was the year, um, she was, her name is Deidre Downs. And um, I'll get back to that when, why it's important later. Um, But she was a physician or she had been accepted to medical school and was starting medical school the next year. So she had finished um, college and her track was a physician. So my parents were like, oh my goodness, this is (laughs) great um you know so there was a a tangible role model i guess like for them to say and agree with this organization that it is more than just a beauty pageant which so many people have i mean if only the rappers i looked up to if only one of them just one was in medical school my parents might have appreciated what i was trying to do so how did nina do in those pageants um so when i was in the team program 
I placed first runner-up. I was Miss Michigan's Outstanding Teen and then placed first runner-up to Miss America's Teen. And that's like the worst spot in the world because <laughs> you're so, I mean, and, and I think people from the outside will say, oh my goodness, like first runner-up, congratulations. Yeah. But in your mind, you're like, oh, I just missed I'm it. So you close. know, I'm so yeah. close yet so yeah. far. Yo, what the fuck? Fuck whoever says you did such a good job. You're the first runner-up. Who says that? That's a wild backhanded compliment. I need to know who says shit like that. But okay, okay, she wins first runner-up at some of the teen competitions. She's also applying to college at the same time. So she places very high in these competitions, but that can't be the end of it, right? What about college? So the way it works is that you actually have to compete for a local title before you can compete for the state title. Uh, so when I was in... Uh... So when I was in Michigan, the local title was Miss Washtenaw County, which is where University of Michigan is located. Okay. And so you compete for that. And so I competed my sophomore year for that. Didn't place, didn't get anything. <laughs> I was like, what? I just came off like, you know, I did really well in the team program. Like I, I should have at least won a local. Yeah. Um, nope, like really kicked my butt. And so I thought to myself, you know what, I'm, I don't think I really invested the time. I think I walked in there and said, Oh, I got this and didn't really prepare to the best of my ability. So after that, I said, you know what, I want to just enjoy college and, you know, focus on sort of my studies, what I want to do and figure my career out. So she suffered some defeats. Was there a silver lining? time competing at the team program, I earned $25,000 in scholarship money. And with that money and the help of my parents, um, I was fortunate enough to graduate debt-free from the University of Michigan. That's not a small amount of money. I started thinking, surely, if you've had some success in the past, been able to win some significant money from this success, enough to graduate debt-free from college, at some point, at some point, she must have thought about coming back to competing. When I went to college, you know, this was my, you know, senior year, I finished out my year as Miss Michigan teen um, and senior. And I knew, I knew like at that moment, I knew that I wanted to come back as a miss. I knew that, especially when you're just that close as a teen, <laughs> like you're just like, Oh, I, I have to know like if I can really do it. Yeah. And so I knew at some point I wanted to compete in the miss program, but I didn't know at what point that was. And so it really wasn't until I was 23. I had, I had finished college, graduated, um, and I was in the process of applying to medical school. And then I said, you know what? I only have two years left to compete. Um, you have to be between the ages of 18 and 24. Oh, no. um, so I knew, you know, the clock was ticking, I guess. <laughs> and so I said, I, if I don't try it now, then I'm going to always win. So it gets a little confusing. And now that you've heard it from Nina, let me walk you through all of the competitions and placements. While she was a teen, she won the Miss Southwest Michigan's Outstanding Teen 2005 pageant followed by her winning the same Miss Southwest Michigan's Outstanding Teen 2006 pageant as well. Then she was the first runner-up at the 2007 Miss Michigan Outstanding Teen pageant, which is the one that you've heard about. So that's what she was talking about. And as we learned from her, the teen program is a feeder into the Miss America pageant. So while she competed in the Miss Washtenaw County pageant while she was in college, she didn't place. She got disheartened, as any of us would. That might just be me reading into what she was saying, but any of us having tremendous successes, especially as a brown-skinned woman, you'd feel upset when you don't even place. So she stopped for a while. She used the time to recalibrate and eventually came back to competing. But she needed to take a break. Eventually, she decides she doesn't have a whole lot of time left, and if she doesn't go for Miss America now, she's never going to. So she competes again, 
and is the second runner-up at the Miss New York pageant, which is phenomenal. I don't think I was following pageants back then, but I would have certainly been rooting for her. She's got this tenacity coupled with patience. She says, I'm going to suffer some setbacks, but I'm going to keep forging ahead. So she competes again. She wins the title of Miss Syracuse. She's crowned Miss New York 2013 and eventually becomes Miss America 2014. Miss America, I was filling out applications for medical school. As soon as I won, I withdrew all my applications. Um, I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I feel like a part of me was like, oh, I just, I just, I hope I can be Miss America so I don't have to go to med school. Girl, 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 you better, you better. If this shit doesn't make me the happiest, she won and straight up said, fuck med school. That is the exact mood I aspire to every day when I wake up. Interesting story, though. Back in the earlier competitions, Nina's talent was singing. She always had a talent for dancing. I think a lot of us are put in dance classes when we're younger. She was trained in jazz, ballet, tap, also Bharatanatyam, which she said she loved. And it also wasn't something that she was spreading around in her small community. As we already learned, she didn't have many Indian friends. She, she was living in Michigan and Oklahoma. Like, how many, how many brown people do you think that there are out there? So I imagine it can be kind of a weird thing to share. Not even weird, just something you don't even want to get into. Anyways, she had all this dance training, but she would sing during the competitions. That changed during her training for the national competition. She won by dancing to the song Dhumtana from Om Shanti Om, the first time Bollywood was ever shown on the Miss America stage. And this is how that happened. Um, so, you know, this was like something that I just loved, but no one really got to see outside of the Indian community. And we mm. all have those, you know, little Diwali parties in our yeah. little South Asian community that we have. But um, it was almost like a secret that no one knew about. And I said, well, actually, like... I can also do this and I really love it. And he, he was very open-minded. He said, let's see both. He's like, why don't you prepare, um, you know, sort of a contemporary piece and why don't you prepare it like, you know, your Indian dance and let's, let's see what happens. And I remember that moment he, so I did my, I think I did, um, actually I remember it very well. I performed <laughs> to Diamonds Are Our Girls Best Friends. So it was a mix of like jazz on point. Mm -hmm. um, and I had prepared uh, Rangade from Dakshak. Yeah, and, song. <laughs> yeah, and especially back in the day, yeah. it's like the prime. And um, he said, okay, he's like, I'm going to rate you if, if I were a judge. And he said, you're, you know, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend is probably a six. He was like, your Indian dance is an eight. And this is out of a one to 10 scale. Mm -hmm. He was like, I would go with that. He's like, there's just something about it, about you that comes forward and it's authentic. And I was like, cool, like that makes my life easier. <laughs> um, and so that was the kind of the first sort of person who really said, I think you should do this. And, you know, this old, older gentleman, you know, very, a white man who had, was seasoned in the Miss America system, like yeah. saying, I think you should do this. was like, okay, why not? Um, and then, of course, that's what I performed with at the state pageant and won that. And then even at, um, at the teen pageant at nationals. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if I'd sang at nationals if I would have won, because I just don't know if they were ready for like a national, their, you know, their teen to really be this like little Indian girl. <laughs> and I remember thinking that, like, I, I feel like I didn't win because I was Indian when, you know, I was 17 at the time. I wanted to stay away from talking about how did it feel when you won the competition? What was that like? You're on the world stage. You just won. You're the first brown woman to win. 
It's crazy. It's exhilarating. Totally. But I want to know what's really going through your head in the moments after that win. Remember the night I won, which is a whirlwind, but that's it. The night I won, like after everyone had left, um, I was with my mom and sister and we were in this suite together. And um, it was kind of like this conversation of, well, now you won. What's next? Yo, the minute she wins, the brown parents are asking what's next. I couldn't even script that any better. She just won Miss America, the first brown woman ever. But I guess, true, what is the plan after that? If I really think about it, I only thought so far as winning. Not at all about what happens next. So really, her mom is smart as fuck. And I'm an idiot. But you knew this. You know, when you win Miss America, your life changes overnight. And it's very hard to articulate that into words. Um, but you have so many options and opportunities that you would have never had before. During your year, you're Miss America. And yes, you understand that. You have to represent a certain... Um, equality or there's a certain amount of expectation about who Miss America is and everything. And there's certain things that, you know, you're essentially the CEO of that organization at that time. Mm -hmm. I would say probably the most exciting point of my year was working with the Obama administration. Um, I was able to meet um, with President Obama in the Oval Office and then um, work with the First Lady. Afterwards, what was really amazing is that I built such a wonderful relationship with them. Um, I was able to travel to Kenya when President Obama won in 2015 um, for the Global Entrepreneurship Summit and be one of the speakers um, on women's entrepreneurship, which was such a milestone, um, and then continue my work uh, with them through the State Department. So she's working with the State Department. I bet you one trillion bajillion zillion dollars they want to send her to India. I was able to go to India on behalf of the State Department and do a two-week tour in Mumbai, Hyderabad, and Vijaywada. Okay, I get the State Department's motivation. It's an obvious one. But did she enjoy it? What personally motivated her to go to India? What I, I really genuinely love the State Department tour, especially because it, it was a year in the making from the time we sat at the table to actually execute it. Uh -huh. um, so that, to me... I knew I wanted to go to India in terms of, especially after winning Miss America, I feel like there was a significant um, pull there also, or an opportunity to at least have my message heard there. Sort of all the work that I had done really culminated in this in this tour, um, not only politically, but also, you know, from the nonprofit world and then my own message as well, and even the pulling in the entertainment side of it. And of course, you know, there has to be a pull yeah. and a draw there too. So just all of it really felt like it culminated in, in the best way it could. I know if I went over to India, I'm Gujarati. I understand the language, but I don't really speak it. I feel like there had to be some of that for Nina as well, considering her upbringing. So the tour was amazing, obviously, I put my heart and soul into it and um, was really happy with the outcome. But I think what I realized, I think taking away from it or walking away from it is that ultimately I will not be viewed as Indian in India. Um, I, I do speak Telugu and I can understand Hindi like bits and pieces, but I'm not fluent by any means. Um, so I think I realized that in order to connect in certain ways, I just might not it's not my strongest suit there. Nonetheless, she is the first Indian Miss America, so that counts for something. But then there's the elephant in the room, which I thought of the minute we reached out to interview her. When she won, how did the trolls react? 
you know, there was this, this, the conversation of, well, would she have really won, you know, because mm-hmm. I am darker skinned. And um, it's, first of all, I will say, I think beauty standards are just the idea of wanting what you don't have in right. any single you sure. know, sort of country yeah. issue, whatever it might be, because we, I think Americans here spend millions on tanning products. That's right. We see you wanting the tanning products, the big butts, the bushy eyebrows, the big lips. You used to make fun of Rhea for all that before. You ain't making fun now. You ain't making fun now. But then I thought about it. When she went to India, she is darker skinned. She's not the darkest person by any means. But going over there where they worship you the more you look like a ghost, that had to play a part in her visit. Of course, it's absolutely irrelevant and we know that. But the reality is that the poorest people in India are still are still spending five rupees on a fair and lovely packet. Yeah, like that's still and they think that's their outlet or they think Bollywood is the end all outlet to solve all of their, mm-hmm. you know, whatever issues they might be having. She won Miss America. She got to work with the Obamas, the State Department, and went all the way to India. And even there, couldn't escape racism. Which we probably all could have seen coming, but it still always surprises me. In unpacking that a bit more, I realized I missed a question somewhere back there. Had racism reared its head during pageant time? Just in pageant world, it's very rare that you see someone who is South Asian competing. At least when I started competing, it Mm -hmm. was very rare. Um, And I remember just even when I was competing, you know, not only as a teen, um, and it's really interesting because as a teen, we didn't, my family and I didn't tell anyone or there are, you know, my, I told my close friends and I didn't really have very many close friends that were Indian, I suppose, when I was in Michigan in high school and college, that certainly changed. Um, and so, you know, we didn't really tell anyone in our community. And even when I was competing for Miss New York, et cetera, as a Miss, like it was very under wraps. And, and I think that's also part, part of me. I didn't really want to share that with anyone. Mm-hmm. I think there's this, this layer of secrecy that happens when you really choose to pursue something very different than what the norm is, that you, you can't be proud of it until you're successful in it. It's a super real, super profound, and super fucked up thing that Nina gave voice to. Rhea and I reflected on it, and it's something perhaps we haven't said before, but you can pursue all these crazy things and accomplishments, but you pursue them in secret. Our culture doesn't really reward any of us that pursue anything different, unless you're successful at it. It really sucks, but as we've heard in other interviews, it motivates and molds people into becoming really refined versions of themselves. It helps them really hone what their goal is, what they want to do. In Nina's case, it didn't break her. She tried harder. She kept competing. And this tenacity allowed her to find a supportive group of women who were able to support her when certain taunts came her way. And that's so important. Yes, that exists, but there's bad apples in every industry, not just this world um, or pageant world, which tends to have a more stereotype around it. Um, But I walked away with three very close friends, Miss Arkansas, Virginia, and Illinois, all of whom I'm in touch with today. Two of them got married and we were all bridesmaids in their weddings. Um, And, you know, I just, I was in Chicago last weekend. I saw Brittany, who was Miss Illinois, um, you know, one of the nights that I was there. And so if I didn't have them also to lean on throughout my year, because they're also the only people who really understands what it means to be a title holder. Like the sisterhood that I've found in competing has been one that even took me by surprise. So I will say that. 
Um, but they were probably one of my biggest supports. And then just going back to the racism, they were the ones who also, you know, were contributing to the Huffington Post. Um, one of their platforms was bullying. Um, and it's not, it wasn't just only the three of them. Like there were other people who also had platforms because Kansas was one of them. Um, was one of my favorite contestants too. Um, she was in the army actually. Um, and she had contributed to, to one of the news outlets um, about anti-bullying and all of this. So to have young women champion each other, I've realized how big of an impact that makes as well. Because ultimately, I can't reach every single person sure, in America. Yeah. It's not possible. But they, with the help of other people, you might be able to spread your message that much further. I've always believed when you let bullies, you let trolls get away with what they're saying, they essentially write your history for you. It was really great to see that Nina had a support system that was able to fight back against bullying and racism in a really not mean way. What's more is that she said something else, which I say almost every day, which is that we need to write our own stories. I think the issue is not about how we're represented. I think it's also we're not telling our own stories. Because if you ask, we can't expect any, you know, outsider to tell our, to share our culture that is so inherent to us. So I think we need to be more creators of the content because we can't expect anyone else to really understand sure. or gauge like our family dynamics or our personal history and stories unless we're telling it. Yeah. Right. yeah. Shout out to MMT. I'm just going to throw that out there. But another thing that she touches on, which I have strong feelings on, I asked her whether she believed that brown people who have broken through, so to speak, have an obligation to continue pushing forward with their Indianness. I've gotten different answers from different people about this. Some people say it's not their job. Other people say, I think we should be pushing it forward. I mean, why wouldn't, if it's, why wouldn't we? This brought us to an interesting conversation Nina had with one of her mentors, who told her there are people who are successful who are Indian, but there are also people who are Indian and successful. I've heard the same thing before. And to me, it feels like you're trying to appeal to everyone and have your Indianness be a byproduct, which is all good and well. But my personal opinion is that people make snap judgments right when they see you. There's a reason people say first impressions are last impressions. You're Indian. That's what you look like. You can't hide that. So I think you should lead with it. But it's also something I struggle with a little bit as well. He said to me, Nina, there are people who are Indian that are successful, and there are successful people who happen to be Indian. Right. You want to be the latter. And I somewhat, I, I totally understood what he was saying, but I somewhat struggled with that statement myself personally, because in my mind, I was like, I led with being Indian. Like, I didn't think that that was a bad thing, especially for Miss America. Like, my brand was, you know, I'm, I was going to fall onto a Bollywood dance. Like, I was going to embrace my heritage, and I was going to say, yes, I'm Indian, but I'm also first and foremost American. And so... I think, you know, also shifting that, yes, we are Indian and yes, we have that piece of us, but we are American just like everyone else mm -hmm. and um, our experiences aren't solely just one or the other. Finally, as we wound down the Nina interview, she touched on collaboration amongst Indian folk who are doing something different. I think she was really spot on with her answer. We have a really individualistic kind of culture at present. I've said it since I was like 15. Everybody wants to be number one. No one wants to work together. And it sucks when you're one of those people that wants to collaborate. You look around and you see that no one seems to realize that you can't have a number one without a number two, a number three, a number four, 
and so forth. Our cultural culture, and we talked about this even before today, is it's very individualistic. Yeah. Like, I think even when people might have a certain form of success, it might be hard to pay it forward, which um, shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned that there's so much more strength in collaborating, right, even right. in the short, you know, past like three years. And I don't consider myself an expert in this industry or whatever it might be, but I mean, there's just so much more power in that than trying to do things on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being able to recognize that also is an important part of it. Does she consider herself successful? I think when people have micro forms of success, they have a few options. Um, You can either just sit back and say, okay, I've made it in this industry and that's great. Or you can take that and build off of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to consider myself the latter. Um, But I think also successful people, or when you feel like you've had a moment of victory, I like to call it, Mm -hmm. you are hungry for more. And I think we all probably sitting at this table know what that means. Um, So, um, you know, it'll be a continuing, evolving process. And finally, a bit of sound advice. Definitely follow your intuition. Um, No one else can really know that but you. And I have more often than not, when I've listened to my gut feeling, it's usually right. Mm -hmm. Usually. And it's very, even now, it's very hard to point out if it was ever wrong. Um, so I would definitely say, listen to yourself and, um, you know, try, try, try again. That's so true. Um, you know, I, I didn't win Miss New York the first time I tried, um, took me two years and seven pageants to win Miss New York. Um, so if you're not good at something the first time, you can learn how to get better. Mm -hmm. I really, truly believe that. Um, if you really want it, and I think also having a good gauge on reality too um, of your goals. But I really do believe that if you practice and you try harder, you can get better. Like I said before, this was a really amazing interview. And I really want to thank Nina Davaluri for allowing us to come in when we really just had the inklings of an idea and interview her. It was amazing to hear about something that I don't know a whole lot about, pageantry um, and winning what it takes to win one of the biggest competitions in the land. I mean, I literally knew nothing about it. All I had was a stereotype to go off of. So in closing, I did want to add something that I wish I had brought up to her, but I totally forgot when we were interviewing. I had a chance to perform in Times Square some years ago for the first uh, Diwali in Times Square. I was able to perform out there. It was on a stage. They had shut down all of Times Square. It was like 10,000 people out there, TV networks filming. It was insanely crazy. Um, I'm... I get stage fright, especially at that time, I got a lot of stage fright, but I went out there, did what I could. The crowd, if you've ever seen footage of it, or you were around at that time, or you ever heard me talk about it, I'm 100% honest about it. The crowd wasn't there for what I was doing. I was, I was rapping. <laughs> they were not there for that. And I understood that. But, and, the, and, and it didn't even connect with me for such a long time. One of the first things I said when I hit that stage to 10,000 people, I noticed how quiet they were. They didn't get what I was trying to do. And the one thing I said to them was, be proud of yourselves. I wish, I hope somebody caught this, somebody caught this on video, but I literally said, be proud of yourselves, make some noise for yourselves. You guys just crowned the first Indian Miss America. I distinctly remember saying that, and it was Nina. I was talking about Nina, and the whole crowd erupted. 
and they went wild. And then I performed. And like I said, I'm rapping. Maybe you know the them cats. They were there to see. Uh, damn, I'm forgetting the dude's the dude's name now. One of the Kapoors. They were there to see him. So whatever. But that's what I led with. That's what instantly came to mind. Even back then, she was a source of inspiration for somebody like me. So thanks, Nina. Survivors is the brainchild of myself and Rhea Bomek, where we shine a light on the lives of successful brown creatives you may not have heard of before. We conduct and edit all interviews, Rhea composes the music, and our friend Kush mixes it all down. There's no training to this, it's all grassroots. If you know anybody that we should feature, if you want to help, reach out. Simple as that. 